You're listening to Breakaway Wealth, the show designed to help you build wealth faster, think bigger, and break out of the herd. Now, here's your host, Jim Oliver. Before we jump into today's show, we have some exciting news to share with you. Our brand new online community platform is now live. Get access to free on-demand, in-depth training courses on topics like infinite banking, cryptocurrency, real estate investing, and much more. Just go to community.createtailwind.com. That's community.createtailwind.com. Or check out the show notes of this episode to find the direct link to request to join the community. Now, on to the show. Welcome back, Breakaway Wealth. I'm your host, Jim Oliver, and with me today, my co-host, Nick Costco. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Jim. It's good to, good to be back, and uh, we've got kind of a hot-button topic to talk about today. We do, and this is uh, something that we're trying to stay right on top of because uh, there's a lot of people worried about the banking system uh, uh, due to recent failures and um, not bailouts, but uh, I don't know what you call it when you insure deposits over the FDIC limit. Kind of sounds like a bailout to me. Or bail-in. Bail-in, that's right. <laughs> but so the yeah. difference is the way that the, the government is justifying it as not a bailout is that these uh, executives aren't keeping their jobs and their bonuses and everything else like back in 08. Yeah, it, it definitely is being spun a little differently. There's a there's a lot of politics involved, of course. Um, you know, I always encourage people when you're when you're reading the news to just be very guarded o- over the the language that's being used to manipulate how you feel about it. Like, seek just the facts in it, and then ask yourself, hey, does this make sense? And, and that'll help tell the story a little bit. Uh, hopefully it encourages you to look uh, beyond the headline a little bit because the reality of it is, Jim, every taxpayer's dollars are, are being used on this. So uh, hopefully you do care to some degree. Absolutely. So, you know, if I'm worried about my money and I'm worried that, that maybe I have over 250000 and I think FDIC is going to protect me. And, you know, if there's only a few banks that fail, then it probably will. But um, if, if there's a run on the banks, you might be in trouble with the FDIC because it's um, not funded very well, but we can get to that. But let's just talk about what do I do if I'm nervous about my money being in a bank, especially a smaller bank. Yeah, well, you know, I, I can just hear Nelson Nelson Nash talking like he would just be sitting there um, almost like with a smirk, right? Like, of course, this is just predictable, right? And what did he always say? He goes, we just need to take the banking, um, banking function back to the you and me level. That's what I keep hearing him say. Uh, and I, you know, I, I would love to be able to do a good Southern Alabama draw, but I just can't, Jim. Yeah. Uh, because he had an eloquent way of saying, we just got to take it to the you and me level. And, and, you know, I was fielding a question this morning, Jim, from a client of ours. And I reminded him, Hey, listen, this is not a, this is not about a product. It's about a process. Right. And it's this process of banking that uh, is so vital. Um, and, and, 
that that's that's my train of thought on that. Yeah, you know, the thing that's funny is yesterday I get a call from uh, one of the banks that I use as kind of for bookkeeping and making it simple. And uh, I get a call from the president of the bank and, you know, saying, hey, don't worry, don't panic, everything's okay. If you want to call me, here's my cell phone, you know, blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> I thought that that was kind of interesting, left a long voicemail, and I thought, I'm not going to call him back. I mean, why would I listen to what, I mean, what, what right. else is he going to tell me? Right. Of course, yeah. he's gonna tell me everything's okay. Okay. Don't, you know, take your money out of the bank. Don't worry. Because here's the bottom line is if people start taking their deposits out of the bank and the bank doesn't have those deposits to go lend to them again, probably the same person, but, but let's just say it's somebody else. If they don't have loans that they're leveraging, then guess what? They don't make any money. And if the bank doesn't make any money, what happens? They're out of business. They're out of business, right? And the people, it's like, you know, it's a little bit of a Ponzi scheme, really, because the people that are left holding the bag are the people that got out the last, at the last. You know, the people that trusted what the president of the bank said, which was, hey, don't panic, don't move your money until they're everybody moves their money and then they go, oh, crap, right? So I'm not saying have these runs on the bank, but what I'm saying is that this is a good time to learn how to read a um, Bauer financial report and yeah. understand so, what the bank is doing. And if the bank is over leveraged, if the bank has the same problems as the Silicon Valley bank with some of their crypto uh, um, basis and, and how they were loaning money based on a $70,000 Bitcoin versus what it is today. And, you know, like, let's see those numbers. Let's look at that report. Yeah. Hey, Jim, do you know how many um, mutual life insurance companies have gone out of business in the last 22 years since 2001? I'm going to say zero. Zero, right? Do you know how many commercial banks have gone belly up in the United States since 2001? I'm going to say around 100. I'm just guessing. Yeah, according to the FDIC, it's 18. Okay. Well, I was way off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's pretty fascinating because we get asked this a lot. Like, hey, what Nelson was really talking about, part of what he was talking about is like, listen, your money's going to reside somewhere. Where do you want it to reside? And so, you know, the, the, the banks... You know, as we see, they can get pretty loosey goosey with the with the deposits and what they do. There's a lot of a lot of trickery, a lot of chicanery that goes on with uh, depositors' money, right? And a lot of people don't realize when you make a deposit at the bank, by the letter of the law, you're now a creditor of that bank, right? Mm -hmm. Your 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 money is not as safe as you might think it be uh, think it is. So let's just talk a little bit about um, where we've chosen and what Nelson uh, taught us. Um, to do with our money uh, about the mutual insurance company. So can you explain a little bit for the, for the audience, Jim, like kind of the, the tenants behind the mutual insurance company and why it's a safe place to store our money? Well, yeah, there's a couple of things. You got to go back to the early nineties when two mutual insurance companies did get in trouble and uh, they got in trouble because of their real estate holdings. And it was just one of those cyclical 
corrections in the real estate market. I don't think it was anything spectacular, but you know, the, most people don't even remember that happening. Uh, but it does happen, right? It's it's cyclical, and they were caught holding too much real estate, some bad bonds, some other stuff that these companies were in trouble. So they, but but by the way, another uh, mutual insurance company came in in both both cases and absorbed them, and policyholders didn't lose anything. I mean, maybe dividends were down for a couple of years, but they didn't lose anything. Because the new insurance company knew that that block of business, ultimately, thinking long-term, as Nelson taught us to do, and insurance companies understand, that it was profitable. So and mutual insurance companies haven't had that problem since because they're heavily regulated and their capital surplus ratios have to be um, really, really, really high for a financial institution. And so... Um, their statutory reserves are, which is a fancy way of saying if we paid everybody everything that we owe them, what would be left over uh, is is high. And that capital surplus, like uh, for a couple of the companies that we use, are uh, they're in excess of 10%. The industry, I think, NIAC, National Association of Insurance Commissioners, wants that number to be around 7 or 8%, which is still high. Right. And, and and for those companies to be over 10 and approaching 12 percent uh, is is excellent. Now you add in the regulation of what they can invest in. Right. And now they can't be as heavily invested in real estate and things that can turn with the market as they used to be. Now it's more of a, you know, they're uh, they're investing in treasuries and they're investing in bonds and they have a 40-year bond laddering strategy. Now, if you think about that, go back 40 years and you're in the early 80s, right, where interest rates were still high, they're still getting those types of returns on part of that bond portfolio. Maybe not everything's 40% or 40 years, but, but, right. uh, but it's a long strategy and you have a team of people managing that Nick. So think about think about that just that for a second. Okay, is with with an insurance company you you all, on the payouts, on the dividends, you know, you have a team of people managing the reserves, managing the assets of the company, making sure that you are uh, or that they are running the company in a prudent way. When you have a 401k or you know something like that, you're the one deciding. You're, when was the last time you heard from your your financial advisor that represents the 401k? <laughs> not very often. I, you're not getting advice. Never, got that, never right? got that vote. No. Yeah, I don't think anybody does. I mean, very rarely. Yeah, yeah. It, it's there's a you know you're transferring risk right at the bottom, at the end of the day insurance of any kind is about a transfer of risk right um and i i like how the mutual insurance companies um i like the philosophy of kind of like a, it's a more quote-unquote old school philosophy and that the insurance company is taking the risk right but they have such incredible data on their side the law of large numbers they've got um the mortality tables like they they understand they have all the data to analyze the risk 
right? And they say, hey, we're bringing in the premium dollars. We're going to go put it to work. And we know because we have such an incredibly long track record of profitability that we know we can pay you this. And then because it's a mutual company, the policyholders are an owner as well. And so when there is when there's some leftover, that gets returned to the to the policyholders. And so, you know, we talk a lot. If you're using a commercial bank, there's three players in the play, right? And there's the depositor, the bank owner, and the borrower. And if you're listening to this and you're not doing IBC, then you're two players in that play, but the owner's making all the money. IBC is about putting a wall around all of that. So when we use the mutual insurance company, we are the owner. We are the depositor and we are the borrower. And so nothing can leave that system. And it's it's looking that over time. And those of you that, uh, if you've read Becoming Your Own Banker, if you watch the course, page 45, the IBC sister and the CD sister don't jump out to you. I want you to revisit that. And if, you, if you're not a member of the community, go to community.createtailwind.com or just type in create tailwind, all one word in your app store and download that. And in the Becoming Your Own Banker course, it's the first video of section three. Open your book up, open, turn, hit play on that. And what you're going to see is the, the moral of that whole lesson is one person, is, you're, you're going to see what the results are if you're the customer of the bank and you're going to see if you're the owner of the bank. And then you decide what you want. And if we can just kind of keep that front and center, who's the owner? We're watching this news right now, Silicon Valley Bank. Um, I don't think any of our listeners are owners of that bank. Yeah. But we've got a lot of listeners that are owners of, uh, of various mutual insurance companies, right? And so nothing can leave the system. And, um, you know, Jim, what, what would you... What would you say to to our listeners who are looking to, you know, they're, they're a little nervous about, hey, well, where's the insurance company put their money? Um, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but, um, you know, how, how safe is the cash that the insurance company is sitting on? What, what, would, what do you have to say to our listeners? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's very secure. And the one thing that uh, happens is... Uh, their, uh, the insurance companies, their demand accounts are with the three largest banks, number one. So, you know, the, you're not hearing about these large banks having issues like J.P. Morgan or whatever. You're not hearing that. You're hearing the smaller bank, right? And then what they do is they sweep the unsecured deposits into government-guaranteed money market funds. One thing that we know that the government is messed up as the government can be, they can always tax the crap out of us to pay back their debts sooner or later, right? And they can always punt the uh, burden down to the next uh, generation. So, you know, I mean, it's as safe as we have. And, you know, that, that makes it, that makes it the best option. Now, when I say unsecured deposits, Nick, because we had this question yesterday, what I mean is above FDIC limits. So those, anything that's above those limits is swept. Now think about that. That means if you have a million dollars sitting in somebody's bank right now, especially a small community bank or something, am I telling you to sweep some of that out of there to stay under the limit? 
I don't think you have to do that today, but if things start to go, if there's a few more failures today, then I'm not saying it's the worst idea in the world, you know? So, um, and, and what's it going to hurt? I mean, open up, you know, another account and, and, you know, spread that million dollars into four accounts if you want, or pay back some loans for your infinite banking system. There's a lot of different things that you can do, but, the this all reminds me, Nick, is what's the most powerful bank in the world? Uh, someone told me it's it's your bank. It's your bank. <laughs> and the reason that it's the most powerful bank in the world is because you control it. And and you don't control these other banks. And the things that, that what's making people afraid is they don't have control and they don't have knowledge, right? And so they think that they're going to lose their liquidity, which if they lose their liquidity, they lose their use, right? And, yep. and, and, and so use, liquidity, I mean, those, if we lose our liquidity and we lose our use of our money, then yep. That's that's enough to make people panic, right? That's enough to make people go get their money out of the bank because they're worried about that. Yeah, it always comes back to control, right? Like we're control yeah. freaks, right? And we, we want to feel like we're in control, and and the the financial system gives you a, a a great illusion that you're in control of your money so often, but the reality of it is you're not, and. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, light gets shined on the darkness, and that's really what's happened this last week. Is that there's been th this didn't happen overnight. This was a, a storm brewing, and finally some light. I think it was an accident. Accidentally got released uh, ahead of time. Uh, was exposed, uh, which caused this these dominoes to fall last week. So um, remember, it's it's about control. Uh, it's about uh, taking the banking function back to the UME level. And it's about where's your money going to sit? Where's it going to reside? Uh, do you want it in a, a financial institution that you truly don't have any control over? You are a creditor of that bank. Or do you want your money to store, uh, reside into in, in a uh, financial institution that you do have uh, some ownership in and, and ultimate control? So um, that's the question you should be asking yourself. If you haven't joined us yet, I, I plugged it earlier, but uh, join us on the community. Uh, there's some great new um, courses on there. Go to community.createtailwind.com or just type in create tailwind, all one word in, in your app store and, and check out the new courses that are on there. Um, Jim, any final words you want to you toss to the listeners today? Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, if you are doing infinite banking and you've got a lot of money uh, flowing into your system, then you are in great shape and, uh, and hang in there and keep going. And if you're not, then then get started with infinite banking and take over the banking function. So, Nick, we're going to wrap it up just like we wrap it up every time with the amazing words of Earl Nightingale and the strangest secret. Take it away, Earl. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now, let me say that again. We become what we think about. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. 
If you are looking to discover new wealth building strategies, then go to community.createtailwind.com. That's community.createtailwind.com to join our free online community and get access to free courses and in-depth training videos designed to help you build wealth and break away from the herd. Click the link in the show notes to access the community today. Thanks again for listening.